Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, all you wonderful, wonderful F1 fans out there. We are back. It is round 20 of the 2023 Formula One season. And if you're hearing my voice, I can only mean two things. One, that my name is Kelsey. And two, you are listening to the newest edition of F101. And as always, we're going to start off this episode with the hot topics. This is everything you need to know in the world of F1. For this Formula One weekend, Yuki Tsunoda will be starting at the back of the grid. Now, he didn't get any penalties in the last uh, race, which was in Austin, or anything along that line. What AlphaTauri has done is they've decided to give him a brand new power unit, as well as five other upgrades, including a new engine, turbocharger, all those sorts of fun things. He has exceeded his allocation for the year, which means automatically he's starting at the back of the grid. The way that Yuki's season has been going, this is not exactly the worst possible thing that will do, you know, to him. He's usually qualifying around about 11th. Um, The new engine and the new parts can potentially be an added bonus for him, maybe push him up into that top 10. Um, Unfortunately, no matter where he qualifies, he will be back of the grid, which brings a little bit of controversy in my mind and a rule change that really does need to be addressed. Because Yuki is starting at the back of the grid, wherever he qualifies, it doesn't matter. But his qualifying times do affect other drivers, which to me is not, it's not fair. It's also kind of pointless to have him proceed in any kind of qualifying at all. Have him run through Q1, which is fine, but just have him eliminated after the first event. Don't have him succeed into the Q2 and Q3 according to his time, because then that means someone who actually deserves to be in that time spot is not making that position because Yuki's there. So what's the point in somebody trying or, you know, you make it, but you don't because Yuki started, but you don't get to participate in the next event, which is Q two or three rule change. In my opinion, if you're starting at the back of the grid, no matter what you're doing, you're starting at the back. You get to run, you get to to warm up your car a little bit, get the driver into the, into the groove of it. Besides that, you're done. You don't get to go into Q2. You don't get to go into Q3 because you're you're not going to be there anyways. So what's the point? Will they do this? You know, probably not because, you know, someone will cry foul. Oh, you're not giving him enough time to practice. I don't care. If you're not going to be on the grid, don't have him up there in the first place. Uh, speaking of drivers with new parts, within the allocation, which means they have not exceeded what they are allowed to have, which means they're not getting any penalties. Fernando Alonso is getting a new gearbox and Max Verstappen is getting a new exhaust. I'm kind of surprised that Alonso hasn't gone through all of his gearboxes this season. Aston Martin is not exactly known for being gentle on their cars. Now, Fernando Alonso is known for being really good to his cars and being able to extend them a little bit further than they should where it comes to parts or tires. So no penalty for him, which is great. Alpha or Aston Martin needs as much help as they can possibly get for the second half of the season, especially in these last five races. They're not doing so well. They're not catching any points. I mean, some races they are not catching any points at all. 
when they are, it's not nearly as high as they need to be. Both Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso, the last couple of races, kind of a lackluster experience, kind of a lackluster performance. So hopefully a new gearbox for Alonso will help him out, but only time will tell. And last but not least, we have heard, seen, read about massive backlash over the Lewis Hamilton and uh, Charles Leclerc disqualification from the Austin Grand Prix last weekend, mainly for the fact that only four cars were tested. Now, there's 20 cars on the grid, and you're telling me only two of those cars were disqualified due to, you know, being too low. I don't think so. The odds are not forever in the FIA's favor. Um, my backlash, I agree with the majority of the backlash. I really do. There's some reports saying that they are targeting Lewis Hamilton to make a specific, um, it, to make a point out of it, to make an example out of him that even a seven-time world champion can't get away with cheating. I don't think he was cheating. I don't think Mercedes meant to do any of this. To say that they they singled him out to make a point, I believe is absolutely wrong in my opinion. But for the FIA to say they don't have enough time to check the rest of the cars, that they only can check four, especially when it's a back-to-back-to-back weekend, I call absolute bullshit on that one. Yeah, it's a triple header. Every weekend for three weeks, we have a race. Austin, then we've got this week's in Mexico. Next week, we've got Brazil. Are you telling me that you do not have time to check out half the cars? Even if it's half, not just four, make it half. You're literally lifting the cars up. You're measuring a piece underneath the car, and it either it works or it doesn't. For them to be disqualified over something like that, I don't believe is right. Give them a grid penalty. Take them off the podium. Okay, yes, because they did break the rules. But a disqualification for something that I guarantee you over half of the cars there probably wouldn't have passed. I think it's a little bit of an extreme movement that the FIA took. I understand why you want everybody to follow the rules. This rule is especially black and white. Either you follow it or you don't. And there's a penalty behind it. I get it. Fair play. Anybody who plays sports, amateur, professional, or otherwise, you get it. You know everyone wants to be in the same rules. But to make such a gigantic statement and such a drastic movement when you're testing less than a quarter of the cars, I think the FIA and F1 may have overstepped a little bit. No apology from either of the organizations going, well, you know, they broke the rules and so on and so forth. It's the majority of the drivers, including Max Verstappen, going, guys, that was a bit harsh. You only tested four cars out of 20, you automatic disqualification. Yes, it's in the rules, but maybe a little leniency, maybe you tweak it just a little bit going, it's a grid penalty, not a disqualification. I'm hoping they look after this ruling for next season for 2024. Make it not as harsh. If a team has continuously been busted for cheating for the same thing, then yeah, absolutely. Disqualify them from the race. Give them a black flag, all that kind of fun stuff. Find the teams, find the drivers, but that needs to be on a continuous basis, not a one-off on race 19 of 24, 23, if you don't count, if you don't include this as the bad weather race. So a little bit of an overstep from the FIA and F1. There's always next year, and we all know how fluid these rules can be and how much they like to change the rules from year to year. There you have it, folks. That is the hot topics for this week. Let's move right into Q1. So there's a few things you need to know going into the Mexican Grand Prix. First of all, it's called the Mexican City Grand Prix, 
not just the Mexican Grand Prix. A little bit of a semantics, but it is in Mexico City. Second thing is, they are at the highest altitude that they will be all season. Now, what does that mean for the engines and for the cars themselves? That means that the cars have a lot less chance to cool down, because uh, just because there's a lot less oxygen than there would normally be, as well as because they're so high, track temp, you're looking at 47 degrees Celsius on race day and track day, respectively. There's a lot less grip on the tires. These tires like warm weather. They don't necessarily like hot weather and because there's a lot less oxygen everything has a little bit more of an extreme edge to it 47 degrees celsius is just ridiculously hot as is as is which means you don't have nearly as much traction on the tires and when you can't push the cars as fast as you want to generally because of there's less oxygen because of the elevation the cars have a tendency to overheat and which means you have more brake failures, you have more tire failures. And in some cases over the years, you've had some engines just straight up overheat and catch on fire. It's a little bit noticeable when you see this when it comes to qualifying. Q1 and Q2 respectively were the biggest examples of that. As a normal week, race weekend goes, they had full practice on Thursday and they had full practice three on Friday. And then you go into qualifying on Saturday for the race for Sunday. So practice went very well. Everyone was getting their legs underneath them. A lot of oversteer, a lot of understeer just because of the elevation and just because of the, the grip on the track. The track itself is not built for full out speed. Think of it as a medium speed track. So one being extraordinarily slow if at a stop, 10 being your flat out eighth gear, literally as fast as the car can go. This track would be around about the five or six. You can't go super slow, obviously, because you're going to lose time and you can't go super fast, like at a seven or an eight, just because you're not going to have that track traction and you're not just going to have the room for it. This is the shortest track on the entire circuit every year. So these guys have to do a little bit of a balancing act when it comes to qualifying, when it comes to the speed and position, which generally means that when you're coming out of the pit lane in qualifying, you leave a little bit more space between you and the guy ahead of you just so you can warm up the tires just a little bit faster and it's a little bit safer and a little bit more flowing for that kind of session. Now mix in the fact that there was a couple of yellow flags and a red flag this season or this session and this race, you want to try to get as much time on track as possible, which means you want to try to get as fast a lap as possible. Let's jump into Q1 right away. It was a qualifying to remember, and that is putting it extraordinarily lightly. Uh, First off, the biggest issue, Fernando Alonso, he's got a brand new gearbox, which is great. Unfortunately for him, it ends up being a spin out in Q1. Now, there's some massive controversy about this spin. In my opinion, it looked like he lost control going into a turn. He tried to save it, couldn't quite do it, and he ended up spinning out on off track. Okay, In Mexico, there is no gravel. There's just grass and then... It's different colored tarmac, but there's strips of like blue and red. It's different grips to slow down the cars so they don't have to add gravel to the track. I like this idea. It's safer for the drivers. It's safer for the uh, fans as well. But that being said, it's a lot easier to spin out on this track. Fernando Alonso, there's about a minute and a half left. Everyone's on their hot laps. It's been a very quiet Q1 so far. And then Alonso spins out. Some people are saying it was a very strategic spin out. Now, when you make the insinuation that you're purposely spinning out, 
automatically it brings people to uh, 1998, which brings up memories of the whole Crashgate situation and then teams cheating and so on and so forth, which also involved Fernando Alonso. The reason why people are saying that this was a very strategic and probably and maybe on purpose type of spin is that Lando Norris was on track to just demolish the entire Q1 again. McLaren is definitely on the upswing. Aston Martin is definitely on the downswing. Aston Martin has been passed for their position on the Constructors' Championship uh, standings from McLaren. So some people are thinking that Fernando Alonso purposely spun out to slow down McLaren's. Now, pundits and other drivers who know Fernando Alonso for a lot of years have definitely been saying that he is not that kind of guy, that he just lost control of the car and he spun out. Even the best of them happen. It happens to Max. It happens to Albon. It happens to Alonso. It happens to Hamilton. Like the best drivers in the world still end up spinning out, spinning out in what looks to be a perfectly dry track. Even Fernando Alonso afterwards said that he had no intention of doing it, that it was not on purpose and it was an accident, that it was just a little tweak in the car. He lost control and essentially, in his own words, shit happens, which I have a generally, I have a tendency to agree with him. Uh, But at the time that he spun out, there was less than a minute and a half left. Track time, and we're talking the fastest qualifying time back in, I think it was, 2021, 2020, Max Verstappen, you're doing it in less than a minute 20. So essentially what lap you're on is going to be the last lap for the day because just even in a warm-up lap, you're not going to get around fast enough. Because of the time that he did spin out, Norris was on a flying track, Stroll was on a flying lap. There's a nine or 10 different drivers who wanted to get better track time that was not in the bottom five that their track time gets deleted. As soon as there's a yellow flag, you have to slow down. It's part of the rules, which means you lose your fastest lap. Lando Norris being one of them. So let's just get into the situation as it is. Your bottom five, starting from 16th to 20th, Esteban Ocon is in 16th, Kevin Magnussen's in 17th, Lance Stroll's in 18th, Lando Norris is in 19th, and then Logan Sargent's in 20th. He ended up with absolutely no time in the entire qualifying section, which we'll get to in a minute. Because of Alonzo's spin-out, Norris is 19th. Everyone's just up in arms. They're complaining. Does it suck that Alonzo spun out? Yes. Is it very and extraordinarily inconvenient for Norris that Alonzo spun out? Absolutely. But is that racing? Absolutely it is. Maybe Lando would have gone out with more than six minutes left to get a better track time, to get a better lap time than he did, and he wouldn't have been in this issue. Out of the entire qualifying session, Lando didn't go out until there was six minutes left. This leaves you maybe two and a half laps, and that's it. Game's over. Day's done. The way that McLaren has been running as of late, yeah, you can absolutely do that, but it leaves absolutely no time for anything that happens on track. And when something like this happens on track, everybody cries foul. Boo-hoo. What about Lando Norris? It's unfair. Well maybe him and his strategist could have gotten together and been like, hey, there's 10 minutes left. How about we go for a couple of runs? We warm up the tires and we go from there just in case shit happens. Now, as for the reason on why Lando only went out on his first run with six minutes remaining there, even to this day, 
even to this time of recording, there has been no word from the McLaren team, from the engineers, from Lando at all on why they waited so long to put him out. But you take his chances, you get what you get. On top of that, there were five drivers, seven drivers, seven drivers total. In that time between Alonso spinning out and the green flag, which some of it is their fault, some of it is not their fault. It was a green flag, then a yellow flag, then a green flag, then a yellow flag. It back and forth a couple of times where some of the drivers got caught out doing things that they weren't necessarily supposed to, but I don't think intentionally. Lando Norris, Lewis Hamilton, uh, Logan Sargent, and Yuki Tsunoda, all of them were in were under investigations for violations during the yellow flag. Some of them, Yuki Tsunoda was definitely in violation for passing on the yellow where he was. But then uh, Lewis Hamilton as well and uh, Logan Sargent, all of them were like, you're speeding or you're passing somebody during a yellow flag. When you look at the recording and you look at the video, it's yellow, then it's green, and then we're back to yellow. So take your pick. Yes, you're not supposed to pass when it's even a, a, a green flag. When you get a white, then you're set to go. Green means your track is clear and you can continue on with what you were doing until you get a white flag. Okay, but now you get drivers that are stuck in a situation of, well, what, what do you do? You're getting penalized for something that's not necessarily illegal. It's just when you did it. So there's a massive amount of con confusion among that. And then... After the fact, all of a sudden you get a bunch of obstruction investigations for Max, Russell, and Alonzo as well. Obviously, before Alonzo's spin out, where, like I had mentioned before, with the temperature and the elevation, you want to leave as much space between the drivers as possible. Well, Max, Russell, and Alonzo coming out of pit lane, you can't come to a complete stop if you're up front. You have to be past a certain line and then you have to be to the right it's it's essentially the designated spot where the drivers can practice their standing starts well all three drivers left a little bit too much room between them and the car ahead of them essentially impeding the rest of pit lane because you're supposed to keep things moving it keeps track time going and it keeps everybody on track of what they're supposed to do and their objectives essentially so a ton of penalties, investigations after Q1, all of which came back, you're absolutely fine. Nothing, any kind of investigation had happened. Excuse me, not investigation. Uh, no kind of recourse came back to anybody at all, except for Logan Sargent. His day just went from absolutely bad to absolutely worse. This, this guy, he's trying his damnedest. He really, really is. But his season is just especially the last end, it's just not coming to him and he gets nailed in a major way. He gets nailed with a 10-place grid penalty on race day. They did they did um, conclude that he did do a full illegal pass when the yellow flag was out for Alonzo's spin. There was no if, ends, or buts. There was no gray area. There was no, well, he was a little bit late or a little bit early. How about we just let this pass this time? wasn't going to happen, gets nailed, 10-place grid penalty. On top of that, he also gets another fine and a slight penalty, which doesn't really affect him at this point because he's been hit so hard with so many different penalties. Um, 
that he had absolutely no time in the race and that he needed to get permission from the stewards to continue racing. Now, what that refers to is the 107% rule, which means between the first driver and the last driver cannot be a difference of 107% of the speed and the time, which essentially means you have to have done something. Even if it's the slowest lap you can possibly imagine, as long as you track a time, that counts. Essentially, it's, it's a do-nothing rule. It's not a massive penalty. It's more of a pain in the ass for the stewards. You go up to the stewards, you talk to them going, hey, yeah, you explain why you weren't able to create a track time. In this case, because Logan Sargent's time got deleted because he passed on a yellow flag, his track time got deleted, which means no time for him, which means he has to go up to the stewards and kind of apologize and please let me race, in which they did. It's just a fine for the team. Logan Sargent, I feel bad for him. His season just needs to be over and done with. He is a much better driver than what the season is letting us to believe. But hey, again, that's kind of how racing goes. Moving on to Q2, uh, more slow pit lane starts, but nothing that in invoked the wrath of the stewards. Nobody got a further penalty. No one was summoned up to explain why they weren't leaving the pit lane as quickly as they needed to. It seemed like the drivers had learned. It was just a little bit slower than what most people are used to, but everybody seemed to be happy about it. There wasn't a whole lot of complaints. Q2 was just nice and fast. As far as Mexico City Grand Prix goes, no drama, just nice and fast, no skids, no crashes, no bumps, nothing like that. Your top or your bottom five for that, a little disappointing in a couple of ways. We'll go through, we'll talk about it as we go through it. 11th, Joe Guan Yu, 12th, Pierre Gasly, 13th, Hulkenberg, 14th was Alonzo, 15th, Yuki Sonoda. We're going to focus on Hulkenberg in 13th just because now both hosses are out in Q1 and Q2. This massive upgrade package that these guys got in, in Austin doesn't seem to be helping them one bit. It's not slowing them down, but it's not helping them either. And it's not like the rest of the teams came out with a massive upgrade package either. Haas waited till the end of the season to throw all their eggs in a basket and hopefully get some points. It's just, it doesn't seem to be working for them at all. Now, is it the upgrades themselves or is it the timing that they brought these upgrades out? Austin sprint weekend, you get one hour of track practice time. That's it. So the drivers have an hour to get used to the cars, make some kind of tweak if they're allowed to. Then you go into the sprint weekend, you go into qualifying, the next day, you have no practice time again. You go into the sprint shootout, then you go into the sprint. Then you go into the race on Sunday. I think they gave him an extra hour practice time. But other than that, right into the race. Go to Mexico now, Mexico City. You have your full practice time, which is great. But you're at such an elevation that your car doesn't react as it normally would anywhere else on the grid. So there's that working against you. The track itself is not indicative of full-on speed for which you get the most information from your aerodynamic kit so that's not helping them at all and it's just everybody else is just so tuned in at this point the rest of the teams are not fidgeting with new upgrades they're just going which means you got to figure it out on your own with i don't want to see any help from any other teams but you don't have you don't have a stick to measure yourself against another team because everyone else's upgrades are done. So it's just Haas by themselves essentially figuring this out. Now, you've got Brazil, you've got Vegas, and then you've got the Middle East coming up. 
all those races, especially Brazil and the Middle East, they, they're not as technical as Mexico, but they're not as open as, let's say, Austin or, in my, or the, um, the Red Bull Ring in Austria. They're not as open as that. It's a nice combination. So I think Haas might do and will do a little bit better in the last end, like the last couple of races, just because it would be a little more helpful and a little bit more to their to their research ability for the new upgrades. But still, I don't think that they were getting as much track time as they thought they would with these upgrades. Hopefully, race day it'll be much better for them. But hey, you never know. Yuki Sonoda. Not a great race day for him, especially for the fact that now he's got Daniel Ricardo to contend with. I Now, a lot of people will say that shouldn't matter to Yuki, but Austin was the first race back for Daniel Ricardo since his accident. Wasn't the greatest weekend he's ever had, but it's also not the worst weekend he's ever had. Now, throw that into the fact that he also has a car that's not exactly amazing and is at the bottom of the grid. He has nothing to lose. Yuki hasn't really helped the cause since Daniel left. Liam Lawson helped out more than Yuki did. But now, Ricardo's back. It's a track that he loves. He's got that race rust off him. And he's massively, massively outperforming, not only in the race and qualifying, but in full practice. He's outperforming Yuki hands down. It's like he's the brand new driver. It's like he's the Red Bull driver all over again. I think this is starting to get to Yuki, which means he's making decisions that he normally wouldn't. He's feeling that pressure and he's not performing at his maximum level when he's nice and relaxed, which is why it's 15th for Yuki. Not exactly the best qualifying that he's ever had. It's not that he was horrible. He just wasn't fast enough he wasn't spectacular he didn't stand out in any way whatsoever it was just like oh he's there and he's 15th well where's daniel daniel is like third daniel is second in track time when it comes to q2 he is absolutely demolishing the competition their cars as far as i know major major pieces they're exactly the same a couple of tweaks here and there but that just driver to driver that's how it goes but just Daniel is just destroying him this weekend. And I think it's starting to get to Yuki, which leads us into Q3. These guys definitely now have this track well in hand. They understand where they need to go fast, where they need to go slow, where they can pass with traffic. Thankfully, in qualifying, none of the traffic was actually an issue for them this time. There has been a couple of instances where even when you've got 15 to 10 cars left, that traffic does have a tendency to affect the actual you know, qualifying time and performance as is. This is not one of those tracks. Top 10 boys. All right, this is where we get into. As, oh, and I forgot to mention, Yuki Tsunoda 15th. Okay, that's great. But uh, that kicked everybody down a spot. But Yuki's going to start last anyways. So now Joe Guan Yu at 11th now gets bumped up to Q3. He's now in 10th. But because his track time wasn't fast enough, he is no longer in He's not allowed to race in Q2. He's not allowed to push that time or Q1. Let's try that one more time. I mean Q3. I'm just getting really excited about this race, which is another reason why I think Yuki Tsunoda should not have been allowed to race in Q3 or Q2 at all, just because you get this, you get this kind of dilemma where 
Joe Guan Yu was fast enough to make it into Q3. He was just not allowed to because Yuki was there taking up a spot that he didn't deserve. But moving on to Q3, Yuki Sinoda in 10th, not allowed to race at all. But the rest of the top nine guys, they're just hauling ass. They've got, like I said, the track is dialed right in. The speeds are coming down. They're getting faster and not the speed. The track time is getting faster and faster and faster. And they're just dialed right in. One of which a major surprise to some people, but for those of us who follow him, we know what he can do. That's right. We're bringing up Danny Rick again, the honey badger. He is back. He is putting on pressure to Max and to Seitz and Leclerc and Perez and everybody that's a high quality driver with high tier cars. He's showing that he is still a high quality racer and a driver and that the Alfa Atari is not as slow as most people think it is this season. And he's not doing it with any kind of toe. He's not doing it with any kind of team help where obviously that you got two Red Bulls, you've got two Ferraris, you've got two uh, Salbas, you've got both for um, Mercedes in there as well. They're helping each other out. You give a toe, you get a toe. You're trying to get that track position with the track time. So everyone's helping each other out except for Ricardo. He's that kind of man on a lonely island. And he's proven that, yeah, I've been out. Yeah, I've recovered from a broken wrist. But guess what? I'm still here to compete. I'm still here to play. And you guys better watch out. Amazing speed. Great timing. That car was absolutely on rails. It was great to see. On the flip side, we start to see the decline of a championship team. Not necessarily a driver, but a championship team. Especially in qualifying in Q3, you can kind of start to see Red Bull come back down to reality. They're no longer the fastest car. They may be the fastest car for one or two laps, but overall, top five at the best. And that's Max and Perez. So what I think is starting to happen now is that the rest of the team still have their full allocations or they have whatever they have left for their wind tunnel, aerodynamics, and all of this research and development that they still have. Go back to last season. Red Bull gets this massive penalty. Okay, so you've overspent. So here's a massive fine that you take out of the company. Okay, so you don't have $7 million to develop with now. And you lose even more wind tunnel time for aerodynamic development. I think we're starting to see the fruits of that penalty come into play now. Are they still fast? Absolutely. The RB19 has been fast from the beginning of the season, and it will be fast till the end of the season. But we're starting to see the rest of the teams catch up. A little bit here, a little bit there, a couple of half seconds here, a couple of tens here, and they're starting to pick away at the speed and the domination of the Red Bull, at least until the end of the season. As we all know, as I brought up a couple of weeks ago, the rest of the teams or all of the teams for the 2023 uh, financials, everybody is under the cost cap. So there's no penalties as of next year, which means if Red Bull keeps developing the way they are, I think it's still going to be as close at the beginning of next year as it will be to the end of this year. So let's just get into the top 10 right now. First place on pole, Charles Leclerc. Second, Carlos Seitz, the Ferraris. This was their this was their element. High altitude, medium speed track, low grip. That's what these guys are kind of built the car for. It's a lot of tweaking that they have done throughout the season, and it's really starting to pay off. Max is in third, Ricardo's in fourth, Perez is in fifth, 
Hamilton in sixth, Piastri in seventh, Russell in eighth, Bottas in ninth, and then Joe Guan Yu in tenth. Hamilton not quite as impressed with the car this week as he was last week. Again, just because the 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 upgrade that they brought was that prototype for the 2024 car does much better on a much larger track, a lot more downforce, a lot more speed. Still not bad in the Mexico City Grand Prix on this track, but I think just Again, the combination of the heat, the elevation, the fact that it's a medium speed track, it's not hurting Mercedes, but it's also not helping them at the same time. And this, I mean, for sure, in my opinion, definitely, definitely sets up a very exciting and very must watch Mexican Grand Prix. This and all of that description, all of that anticipation can only lead us to one thing, and that is the Mexico City Grand Prix round 20. We are talking 4.3 kilometers, 17 turns, 356.9 kilometers an hour, top speed, 71 laps, fastest lap, 1 minute, 17.7, 2021. It was Valtteri Bottas when he was driving for Mercedes. It is one of those tracks that you just have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. In general, you don't see a lot of carnage. You don't see a lot of drama or a lot of off track. But I can tell you one thing for absolutely certain. This was not one of those races. Max Verstappen starting behind the two Ferraris, which seemed to have the absolute pace this weekend. Lights out. Away we go. And I don't know what they did, what kind of fairy dust they poured on the RB19 or what kind of fairy dust they poured on the Ferraris to make them slower. But let me tell you, in the number three position, Max Verstappen starts off in clean air because it goes left, right, left, right. So he's in third. He has no other car ahead of him. The way the Ferraris are lined up, Sites is technically behind Leclerc, but there's absolutely and at least one to two car lengths. So he does have clean air right off the start. Max Verstappen, Best start I've seen all year. Absolutely all year. Almost no reaction time whatsoever. He was so fast. He goes from third to first in a heartbeat on that inside line. Now, from where they've started to the first turn, you've got about a couple hundred meters, less than a kilometer. It is so straight. It's fast enough where you can get up to eighth gear before you hit that first turn. The only thing with this track is you can definitely go three wide. So let me set the picture up for you. Lights out, away we go. Max Verstappen just skyrockets. All of a sudden, he's right beside Leclerc. Seitz has come back a little bit. He can't quite keep up, but he's come over to get that draft right behind Leclerc. Someone else who also has gotten the draft from the cars ahead of him is Checo Perez. He is coming up, and he's coming up fast. He started in fifth. All of a sudden, he catches that draft. They're cutting the air for him that easily. He comes up behind the Ferraris, he goes to his left. All of a sudden, we are three wide now. Going from left to right, the corner also goes from left to right. So you've got Leclerc, or you've got Perez from left to right. Perez, Leclerc, Hamilton, or Max, sorry, Max. <laughs> I need to slow down. This corner, you need to break. The driving line for this corner is the middle of the road. Leclerc doesn't have anywhere to go but you have to go left to right. The way Max has positioned himself 
is that he is right beside, and we're talking wheel to wheel. There's no one ahead, no one behind. They are even across the front. Max is taking the inside corner, inside lane, which is he allowed to do, which means Leclerc has to stay in the middle part and take a wider turn around that corner, which if there wasn't Perez on the other side of Leclerc, Leclerc would have taken the first corner because when you go left, all of a sudden you're on the outside and then Leclerc is on the inside for the next corner. He would have had that advantage. It's a perfect setup, except for Perez is on the far left-hand side. He still needs to take that corner. He needs to turn in, and he does, until he turns in and essentially runs over the front driver's side tire, left-hand side of Leclerc, wheel to wheel, shoots Perez up in the air. You see carbon fiber parts everywhere, and this is turn one, lap one, beginning of the race. He slams down so hard. Perez goes into the off-run area. He spins out. He is able to complete the lap. He obviously has to go back because he's got major damage to his car. Perez goes all the way back. They replace the tires. They're starting to look, and all of a sudden, they start to look underneath the car. Perez's day is done. DNF, first corner, first lap, home Grand Prix. Massive, massive disappointment. A lot of speculation. Whose fault was it? Well, if you look at the tape and you look at the race, it's nobody's fault. They're three wide. This is what you consider a racing incident. Even if everybody turned in the exact time that they were supposed to, the track narrows out. So something's got to give. Unfortunately, for this time, it was Perez on the far side. He had to give. If he would have slowed down and let Leclerc and Max go ahead of him, he would have been fine. He would have been into third. He would have been able to challenge both cars later on in the lap. But because he got such a good start, he had such a good draft behind Leclerc. I would have taken it too. Any other racing driver would have taken that gap because they're racing drivers. And this is just one of those instances where right place, wrong time. And it just ended Leclerc, It ended Perez's day right off the bat. And that was the start of, in my opinion, the most DNF-filled Mexican race that I can possibly remember. And I've been watching Formula One over on and off for a few years. This is the most DNFs, the most, I don't want to say carnage, but it was definitely a lot of debris left on the track. But when you look past all of the drama that had happened in this race, it was a really, really good race. I have watched some races from Mexico City that were just absolutely 100% snooze fests. You wake up and all of a sudden, oh, we're on lap 56 and nothing has really happened. This was one of those races that if someone wasn't crashing or if someone was not finishing in any case, that there was so many overpasses and tight racing and wheel-to-wheel -wheel action. It was fantastic to watch. Normally, the Mexican Grand Prix is a one-stop race. Either you start on hards and then you finish on mediums or you start on mediums and you finish on hards. Because of the weather... Because it was so hot, again, 47 degrees Celsius trackside, these guys, and it just happened to be there was a red flag during the race that everyone was able to get another set of tires in. They were able to go for a two-stop, which made this race even more, and I mean even more exciting and edge-to-edge -edge and wheel-to-wheel. 
a lot of wonderful passing. And we're talking like Lando Norris passed everybody and their grandson on this race. Uh, Alex Albon, ridiculously great speed, really good racing back and forth between him and Ricardo and Ocon. Russell was right in there again with Ricardo and Norris and Seitz. Gasly was in there with K-Mag. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg was also in there just fighting back and forth. Again, as I had brought up in qualifying, not one of those races that Haas really wants to remember. They had one car finish, one car that didn't finish, and the one that did finish was nowhere near the top 10, not even close. So are the upgrades acceptable? Are they helping? I think they'll definitely know by Brazil. They'll have all of the little tweaks worked out here and there, and they'll actually be able to make a decision if it's helpful or not. Getting back into the race, uh, super fast. K-Mag having a little bit of issues with the car. A lot of slipping from the back end of the vehicle, which means something is either no traction or something is potentially loose. There happened to be, you know, a couple of weeks before they had a couple of uh, mechanical failures on the back end of the car during qualifying and during the race, able to finish. But, you know, it came out that a couple of things cracked. The makeup of the car itself wasn't exactly where they needed it to be. With these upgrades, I don't think it made it any better. Lap 33, K-Mag coming around the corner, turn eight, the lap before major oversteer which means he doesn't have as much control as he would like. He's got, he's slipping quite a bit. Something's not right. Next lap, same corner, turn eight, another mechanical failure, something on the back end on the pass or the right-hand side of the vehicle. He's hauling ass around this corner, loses control, spins out, goes into the pro tech barrier. And I mean, there's like demolish your car. There's there's like two spectrums, if you remember. There's hitting the wall and wrecking your car. Let's say Yuki Sonoda. Okay, you've, you've wrecked your car. You've wrecked it. All right, let's say Pierre Gasly. You've hit the wall. You've kind of wrecked your car. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's mangled, but it's not too, too bad. And on the far end, you've got Mick Schumacher losing the front end of his car. He hits the, the right spot, tears his car in half. K-Mag, in my opinion, hit right smack dab in the middle. He hit that Tech Pro barrier so hard, and I mean so fucking hard. The back end was go essentially gone and crumpled on top of itself. The front of the car, again, was crumpled on the right-hand side. Uh, a wheel caught on fire. He was going so fast, and he just hit so hard that all of a sudden his car is on fire. It turned out that he had uh, one of the support bars to the back right wheel snapped. No control going straight into that barrier he is okay he's was shaking up though this did bring out the only red flag of the race it was about a 25 minute long red flag because there was carbon fiber parts absolutely everywhere not only on the track but on the side of the road which took them longer than expected to get off the track taking this opportunity when it's still a yellow flag Max goes in, gets a new set of tires. Turns out being a red flag, a little misfortune for Red Bull, but not too, too bad. A couple other teams did end up going in for some tires during the yellow flag. But again, when it's a red flag, you're not allowed to swap out tires. You have to do it when there's actually a race, yellow flag, or during the actual race. So Max has got a little bit of an advantage now. He's still first. As they're taking the car off the track for K-Mag, the temperature starts to dip a little bit which means your used tires, depending on what you're using, start to get a little bit better. 
because it starts to cool off, all of a sudden the medium tires start to come into play again. The hard tires, not so much unless they're brand new. Max has got a brand new set of hards, so he's kind of good either way. You see the next, and we're only lap 33 of 71. We're less than half, we're a little bit more than halfway through the race. Less than halfway through the race, I should say, if my math served me right. All of a sudden, anybody who's on a medium tire starts to get faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. Notably, Lando Norris. When they start the race again, it's not a rolling race because the weather is perfect. It's a standing start. Some people don't have as good of a standing start as you normally would because you're taught you do one lap. It's a short lap. It's four kilometers. You can't really warm up your tires in that case. Anybody who's on mediums has a much better start than on hearts. Max still has a good restart. Gasly has a better restart because he's on mediums. Lando Norris, Russell, Ricardo, all of them, they're still on hards. It's not as good of a restart, but three laps in, all of a sudden it starts to come to them again. Well, they start racing back and forth again. It's getting better and better and better and faster and faster and faster. It was one of those races, again, from the standing start to the finish, there wasn't a dull moment. All of a sudden, you see Fernando Alonso is a DNF. You're figuring out, well, what happened? He didn't hit anything. He didn't hit anybody. He ended up running over debris. One, uh, when K-Mag had initially hit the wall, he ended up running over some carbon fiber. He was not able to finish the race. Lap 47, he has to retire the car. Now, it wasn't a puncture to the tire. It was damage to the floor, to the edge of the floor itself, and to some of the side pods. So he was losing downforce losing a little bit of traction. And if you go too fast, you're that little, little itty bitty hole on the side of your sidewalls and your pods is just going to rip into a massive hole and you have to finish. Anyways, they decided to save the parts and save the car. Lap 47, Fernando Alonso is also a DNF. As the race continues on, eyes kind of initially turn from Max because he's in the first. At one point, he was 37 seconds ahead. So somehow they figured out what they did wrong the day before. Somehow they corrected it or the car was just in a better mood or something along that line. Max is so far ahead, it's not even funny anymore. Standing start, okay, it's a little more even. By the time the race is over, Max is again several seconds ahead. Not even, he could do a full pit stop, which is 12 seconds, and then have some time left over. Eyes and intrigue kind of naturally turn to, my opinion, the top two drivers of the day. Daniel Ricciardo started in the top five. He ended up finishing in seventh. Now, it wasn't because of his driving. It was, it was, he tried his hardest. He pushed that car to the absolute limit, but he was passed by people like Russell, Norris, and Seitz. When you take out Perez, I mean, you got passed by a Mercedes, a McLaren, and a Ferrari. These are not, this is not necessarily a bad thing when you're an AlphaTauri. You're setting the statement that any upgrades they've done are starting to work when you put in a seasoned driver who knows what they're doing this car is a legitimate contender for at least the middle of the grid it's not a back-end kind of car now when you've got a teammate like yuki sonoda it's not necessarily helping the team when it comes to points yuki sonoda had a little bit of a a little bit of a bump around about lap 49 turn two uh it kind of was a it looked like a replay of when Perez hit Leclerc that Piastri and 
Yuki were battling back and forth. They were quite close for the majority of the race. Going into turn two, again, Piastri is on the inside corner. Yuki's on the outside corner, and they're going from left to right again one more time. And it was just, it was a impatient mistake. It was Yuki trying to do more than he was supposed to because he's at this point again in the race. He's getting way out raced by Ricardo. He's almost a little bit desperate to make up points. And it is still something to be said when you pass Oscar Piastri and to get into the points. Well, he ends up running on the tire. He ends up getting spun out by Piastri just the way that he hit spins Yuki out into the grass. Yuki was able to finish the race. But he goes from in contention four points all the way down to almost the back, if not the back end of the pack. And you can just hear the the disappointment and the, I don't want to call it immature anger, but it was very misplaced anger. He was mad at Piastri because he thought Piastri hit me. He spun me out where if you take a half a second, you look at Yuki, you made the mistake. You were impatient. You would have had him on the next turn. You just either lost track of where he was or you couldn't wait any longer and you had to pass him. And it was absolutely your mistake, which took you out of the points. The next driver that you needed to keep an eye on, Lando Norris. He started, if you remember, all the way back in 19th, 18th, once all the penalties were done. He had a horrific qualifying session out in Q1. Massive disappointment. Nothing wrong with the car. Just bad timing and bad strategy. They must have had one hell of a meeting before the race because when everything was said and done, Norris had more overtakes and had some of the best lap times of the entire day. He is the story of the race for myself. I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Normally I do the story of the race afterwards. I just, I can't wait. Lando Norris showed the maturity of a veteran driver because he's still relatively new. He's maybe three years in, maybe four at the absolute most. He's still one of the younger drivers on the grid, the least amount of experience, but you can't, I mean, that doesn't show. It shows that he's been there for years and decades and that he's had a car that can compete for years and decades. He wasn't impatient. He passed when he needed to. He pushed other drivers to where he needed them to be, not necessarily where they wanted to go, but where he needed them to be. It was a master class in racing. He did end up getting driver of the day, which is absolutely well regarded and uh, he deserved it absolutely 100% for the rest of the season I think Norris is definitely going to be one of those drivers that you absolutely have to keep an eye on because he's going to keep surprising people about how fast he can drive how mature he is and that you'll be able to tell that he is the future of F1 so when all things are said and done and the dust is cleared, Max Verstappen comes away with his 16th win of the season, setting yet another F1 record. Let's go through the top 10 right now. Max in first, Hamilton in second, Leclerc in sights third and fourth, Lando Norris ends up in fifth, goes from 19 to fifth in a wonderful, wonderful race. George Russell is in sixth, Daniel Ricciardo first points of, well, second points of the season, biggest points haul that Alfa Atari has had. He ends up in seventh. Oscar Piastri is in eighth. Alex Albon is in ninth. And Esteban Alcon is in tenth. So incredibly proud of Ricardo. He could have easily have not got into the points and everyone would have kind of given him that pass. Oh, he only had one race back. He's still getting a little bit of rust off. Maybe it's his wrist. But Danny Rick comes back like the honey badger that he is. 
and just doesn't give a shit. And he goes into the points and a respectable points in seventh spot, ninth or 10th still would have been okay. It would have been acceptable, but it's not acceptable for Danny Rick. Seven points. Absolutely amazing race for him. I can see him getting better for the rest of the year. Unfortunately, that means, in my opinion, Liam Lawson, you will not be having an Alfa Atari seat next season. If you do, you're not replacing Ricardo. You will be replacing Yuki Tsunoda. Drivers' championship points now are as follows. Max Verstappen wins it with 491 points. Perez is in second with 240 points. Hamilton, with his second-place finish, now is only 20 points behind Perez. He's in third with 220 points. Carlos Seitz jumps up to fourth with 183 points. Fernando Alonso drops to fifth with 183 points. The only reason why Seitz is higher technically is because he finished the race where Fernando Alonso did a DNF today. Lando Norris is now in sixth with 169 points, three points ahead of Leclerc with 166. George Russell is in eighth with 151 points. Oscar Piastri is in ninth with 57 points. And then uh esteban Ocon is in 10th with 56 points oh sorry pierre gasly's in 10th with 56 points constructors championships a little bit of change but at the back end of the track red bull 731 points they have won the constructors championship obviously so they are in first mercedes is in second with 371 points ferrari's in third with 349 points I don't think Ferrari's going to be able to catch Mercedes. There's only like a handful of races left. There's just not enough points. And the way that Mercedes has been performing opposed to Ferrari, I do think Mercedes will hold on to the second place in the constructors. Fourth is McLaren with 256 points. Alf, Aston Martin's in fifth with 236 points. Alpine is in sixth with two, 101 points. Williams is in seventh with 28 points. With the Alfretari finish of Daniel Ricardo, Alfretari is now in eighth spot with 16 points. Alfa Romeo is in ninth with 16 points. That being said, it's just because that the Alfretari has placed higher more often than the Alfa Romeo cars. They are technically tied, but you do have that little bit of a, a disparity between lap times and positions finished which means unfortunately for Haas with their massive upgrade they have fallen to 10th with 12 points massively disappointing on where they should be at this point this year we expected Haas to be in the seventh or eighth spot they were for a bit but with Alfred Tari and Daniel Ricardo pulling out the kind of drives that he has with Liam Lawson also getting points for Alfred Tari as well you can't forget the amazing races that he did it's just it's it's turned out to be more of a, a season for the Red Bull sister team than it has been for Haas. And that, folks, is your breakdown for the Mexican Grand Prix. An amazing race. Definitely something that uh, when you've got a little bit of time, maybe in the offseason, if you want to watch another amazing race, you definitely be wanting to watch this one. And we've got one more race to finish off this triple header. It is the Brazilian Grand Prix, November 3rd and November 5th weekend, which is this coming up weekend. I know I keep saying that, you know, Austin was the last sprint weekend and that we had a couple of last sprint weekends over the years. I can't keep track of how many sprint weekends they have. Brazil is another sprint weekend. Friday is at full practice. Our time is at 8.30 a.m. Pre-qualifying and qualifying is Friday at noon for the actual race. Sprint shootout is Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Not too bad for us in Canada, which is nice that we don't have to get up super, super early. The sprint qualifying 
itself is uh 12 12 30 yeah sprint race is at 12 30 the actual race on sunday is at 10 o'clock our time so not it's not bad at all it's it's a nice it's a nice race weekend it's uh it's not too early brazil it's supposed to rain the entire weekend that's going to be for all qualifying for the sprint shootout for the race itself brazil when it rains it doesn't just kind of rain it absolutely pours with the hot temperatures the humidity it definitely makes for a very interesting interesting race i can't wait to talk to you guys about it i'll talk to you this weekend